0: two weeks ago when we started the sermon series armor of god immediately after the first service could have been the second i had somebody approach me directly and walk right up and ask me a question they said pastor do you know i was a marine for many years to which i replied of course yeah i know that's part of your journey part of your story by the way, how many military uh, men and women do we have who at one point served or currently are serving? Would you raise your hand? Let me see you. Let's give these men and women a round of applause yeah. thank you for you. Yeah. Do you know that I'm a Marine? And I said, yeah, I, I do know that's part of your journey. He said, do you know I'm a sharpshooter? I'm very good with guns. Now, I'm not sure exactly what he was trying to tell me at that moment. But nonetheless, he told me he was very good with guns. He said, specifically, I'm very good with a rifle. And he said, do you know why I'm very good with a rifle? I said, no, why? I knew that he was preparing me for my next sermon. And he said to me, I'm very good with a rifle because of the hours and hours and hours I've practiced with a rifle. As a drill instructor, he taught that principle over and over and over to multitudes of Marines. The amount of time you invest in your weapon Will determine how good you are with that weapon. Let me ask you a question today. What battle are you in the midst of? What battle are you facing right now? Over the last two weeks, we've made it very clear that all Christians are in the midst of a spiritual war. You have an enemy and that enemy wants to defeat and destroy you. My question is, what current battle are you facing right now? Maybe it's a relational battle and you're not quite sure what to do with this relationship. Maybe it's a parental battle and you're not quite sure how you're going to accomplish what you need to as a parent. Maybe it's a business fight. Maybe somewhere you're working with an individual and you're not quite sure how you're going to accomplish this battle. You know that you don't wrestle against flesh and blood. You know that your war is not against this person, but you're in the middle of a battle and you're not quite sure how you're going to overcome it. Spiritually speaking, what battle are you facing? Perhaps it's a medical battle. Perhaps it's a financial battle. I'm not sure what battle you're facing in the midst of this life right now, but here's what I will tell you. You can defeat this enemy and you can overcome, but what you need to do is you need to know specifically how to use the weapons of our warfare. As has been stated twice already in the sermon series, two weeks ago and this week, and if this is your first Sunday here, I want to encourage you to go back and watch those two on YouTube. If this is your first Sunday, grasp this truth. If you've been here for all three weeks, understand this reality. We at Southern Hills are dedicated to training you on how to use these spiritual weapons with deadly accuracy. We want to teach you how to properly use these so that you can battle against the devil and his demons in your own life and accomplish what God is calling you to accomplish. It is not just about defensiveness. Last week, we talked about the five pieces of armor, spiritual warfare armor, that are there to defend us from the attacks of the enemy. Now we're on the offensive. Now we've got two offensive weapons that can help us move our forces forward to advance the kingdom of Christ in your life, in this world, and beyond. That's what we're talking about today. The two offensive weapons that we'll be discussing today, very simple, are number one, the Bible, and number two, prayer. Let's go ahead and look at them from the book of Ephesians, chapter number 6, verses 17 and following. First, we see the sword. We call that the Bible. Let's go ahead. I'm going to say, what is the sword? You say the Bible. What is the sword? What is the sword? How many have a Bible with you right now? If you do, hold it up. Let me see your Bible or your phone. I know you got like 70 Bibles in there. A lot of you have Bibles in (laughs) there. By the way, if you don't have a Bible, a physical Bible, today's a Bible giveaway day. Um, I'm going to be standing out in the front, and as you come by, you can ask me or any of those people, and they will give you a free Bible, only $50 for a free Bible. It's yours for free. No, I'm kidding. It literally is free. We've had those donated. And we want to give you a Bible, a hard copy of the Bible, if you don't have one. And so what do we see here? The sword of the Spirit, verse 17, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Hold your Bible in your hand. Let me see you. Hold your Bible in your hand. You got your phone or your Bible? All right, here you go. Okay, here we go. This is an offensive weapon. Every time you pick it up, you are declaring an act of war against the enemy. He is offended by it. He is distraught by it. And it's the only way that he can be brought down. Satan sees it and he comes after you. And you are declaring war on him when you pick it up. This is why I want you to pick up the Word of God, and I want you to carry it, and I want you to fight with it on a daily basis. When when he sees you wake up in the morning and grab your phone that has the Word of God or grab your written scripture and get on your knees and study the Word of God, you have to understand how he views that. He views that as a personal attack against him. You're at war. And you need to be good with your weapon, the sword. Now, I have a sword here today, so I'm going to pull it out. This is my, uh, this is my, are you ready for this? Because some of us are getting nervous here. There's, there's, this is what, thank you very much. I know I, I know it's the sword and not me, but I I feel 45% manlier at this moment. (laughs) Very impossible, you'd think, right? You know, come on, Pastor. This is the illustration that the apostle wants you to grasp. He wants you to hold on to. This is not there simply to defend. It's there to attack. You're supposed to use this against your enemy. You're supposed to fight against your enemy. And here's the lie that the devil doesn't want you to understand, is that you can defeat him through the power of the word of God. You have that power inside of you. I was preaching a sermon very similar to this years ago now. I think it was in the old building, James. I'm not sure. And as I was teaching this principle, I remember I was talking to the church and I had a man get really excited about this. He came up to me and he said to me, Pastor, after the sermon, he walked right up to me. And you could tell the sermon somehow really affected him. And he's a big guy, like a, like, a, like a really, like a giant guy, like really big. But to me, most guys are really big, you know. And he walked right up to me, and he, that's too much of a laugh, thank you very much. And he, he walked right up to me, very bold, very aggressively, and he had a very serious look on his face, so I wasn't sure what part of the sermon affected him, and if it was negative or if it was positive. And he walked right up to me, and he looked at me, and he said, Pastor, and he pointed at me like this, down like this. And he said, Pastor, what you said in there. And I said, hey, what I said was all the Bible. He said, Pastor, what you said in there about going to war. That's what he said to me. That's what he said. He said, Pastor, and I saw his chin start to quiver. He said, Pastor, I want you to know something. I would follow you into battle. And that's a very big compliment. And I thought to myself, follow me into battle. <laughs> He's a giant man. If, I, if he followed me into battle, I would be like rocket raccoon sitting on his shoulder. That's how I would. <laughs> and I think in his mind, and I think in a lot of men's minds, this is what we're picturing. We're, we're sometimes picturing... A physical battle, a physical warfare, a physical battlefield where we're going to have to pick up guns and swords. And by the way, let me be very clear about this. If it ever came to defending my family, my nation, or my country, I am absolutely willing to take those steps. Not a doubt in my mind. But we as men, and sometimes women, will often give in to this fantasy of what one day might possibly be and prepare for what one day might possibly be, at the expense of realizing every single day you are literally in a spiritual war for your life. And we train extensively with physical weapons we may never use in a physical war, but we don't train at all with the spiritual weapons that we literally are supposed to use every single day. And so today I'm challenging you men, today I'm challenging you women, today I'm challenging you teenagers to make a decision to wield the weapon of God, and that is pick up your sword, pick up your book, pick it up on a daily basis, pick it up on a weekly basis, decide to be good with it. Now, the only way that you can actually do this is that you've got to know it And you've got to be willing to wield it. Say, know it and wield it. Say it with me. Know it and wield it. You say, what do you mean, pastor? How do I know it and how do I wield it? Well, let's go ahead and talk about that. First of all, you've got to know it by spending time with it. The only way you're ever going to know the sword of the spirit, the only way you're ever going to know the Bible is to spend time with the Bible. Hold your Bible with me. Go ahead and hold it. Hold it. How well do you know this book? The way you get to know this book is by spending time with it daily, by spending time with it weekly, by spending time in it on a constant and continual basis. Now, I'm an 80s baby. I grew up in the 80s. Anybody grow up in the 80s like Josh did? How many of you grew up in the 80s? Raise your hand. And uh, if you did, you were used to the musical montage that's often found in... How many of you know what I'm talking about, the musical montage? You know what I mean, right? Right? Like you've got some warrior and all they need is three minutes. We call it the training montage where you can master a lifelong skill in under three minutes as long as you've got the right song playing in the background, right? <laughs> Eye of the tiger is a something, but, 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 but. I'm going to beat up the Russian, something like that, right? <laughs> if you're Russian, I apologize. It's a movie. Okay. What are these people doing? In three minutes, the editors and the, the producers of the movie, the storytellers, are summarizing in just a few brief minutes everything that this person went through in, for days and weeks and months, some of them years, in preparation for the battle they're going to fight. Here's the problem with many Christians is that we assume that the world doesn't work this way, we assume we can automatically download all of the Bible into our mind, and when the devil comes after us, we'll be able to use it. Or, even even better, what we'll do is we'll hide behind somebody who knows the Bible and have them fight for us. Hey, pastor, can you tell me what to do in this scenario? Hey, deacon, can you tell me what to do in this scenario? Hey, we are here not to just shield you from the enemy. We're here to prepare you to fight the enemy yourself. I don't want to come in and be the hero with the sword of the Spirit to cast out demons out of your house or to bring sin out of your life or to pray over your child. Friend, I want to prepare you to pray over your own child, to cast out your own demons, to know the Word of God yourself. That's our job to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. And the way you can do that is by starting to pick up the Bible. Say, pick up the Bible. Bible. Say it again, pick up the Bible. The only way we do it is to pick up the Bible. There is no cheat code in this. It takes three things. It takes a time, a place, and a determination. To know the word of God, it takes time, place, and determination. What I mean by that is very simple. When do you spend time in the Bible? On a daily basis. Let's begin there. When do you spend time? Is it at 6.30 in the morning? Is it 5.30 in the morning? When do you spend time in prayer? I've known two prayer warriors close in my life. Of my Two prayer warriors. The first is my father. The second has been Heather, my wife. I've never seen more consistency as a dedicated warrior. When do you spend time? Do you have time? Do you have a time? Do you have a place? I mean, literally, is there a chair that you go and sit at? And do you sit there at 6.30 in the morning or at 8.30 at night? When do you sit there? And the third thing you need is a time, a place, and determination to just do it. There is no shortcut. There is no three-minute musical montage. There is no way to download this information to your mind. It is literally spending time doing it. Now, look, the bare minimum of spending time in the Word of God is weekly on Sunday. This is the bare minimum. This is why we have weekly church service where I teach you the word of God and we read the word of God and we spend time in prayer and we sing to God. It's the bare minimum. Some Christians, the reason why they're constantly attacked by the devil and they always lose is because they don't even have a weekly time anymore spending time with God in church. Now I'm speaking to those who are at church and I'm saying you can up your game. You can get better at how you defeat the devil by spending more time here And less time with other things. Now, once you know the Word of God, and then you've got to wield the Word of God. You say, how do you wield the Word of God? That is, you've got to use the Scripture and speak the Scripture. When I say wield it, you say speak it. Wield it. it. Wield it. it. Okay, the answer is you speak the Word of God to the enemy. But you have to know the Word of God before you speak the Word of God. You've got to get in the Word of God. You've got to study the Word of God. You've got to memorize the Word of God. You've got to be in the Bible. And once you're in the Word of God, you can speak it when the devil comes after you. Is this not exactly what what Jesus Christ himself did? When Jesus was spending time apart from all of his disciples, walking in the wilderness, he fasted for 40 days. And the Bible says after fasting for 40 days, have you ever gone a full day without eating? How many of you have gone? You've ever fasted before? You go a whole day without eating? How about two days, three days? You're hungry, don't you? And you're looking around. Some of our kids, man, they're teenagers. They go in a meal without eating. They're like, starving. I'm starving. I've never, I don't remember the last time I ate. And you're like, I do. It was an hour ago. You ate food an hour ago. Jesus spent 40 days in the wilderness without food, apart from everyone, spending time alone with God. And the Bible says at Jesus's physically weakest moment, he was spiritually strongest enough for the devil to come and attack him. And the devil came and he tempted Jesus and said, you're hungry, aren't you? Why don't you take these stones, I know your power, and turn them into bread. And do you know what Jesus did to defeat the devil? He jumped up, grabbed him by the throat, and began to physically choke him out. Is that what he did, yes or no? He pulled a glock and pulled it to his his neck. Is that what he did, yes or no? No. What did Jesus do to defeat the devil? He spoke the written word of God. That means he trusted the word of God and believed the word of God and saw there was power in the word of God. He spoke the word of God. He said, as it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from above. And immediately the devil was defeated. A few moments later, the second temptation came and Satan took Jesus to the pinnacle of the temple, the highest point in all of the city. And he said to Jesus, doesn't your scripture say that if you, if, if you are the Messiah, <laughs> that even if you were to throw yourself from the top of this building, you could not even dash your foot against a stone. When you begin to battle the devil with the scripture, don't be surprised when the devil begins to misquote scripture back to you. Jesus looked at him and said, As it is written, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. And immediately, that's how he defeated the devil. The third temptation was Satan took Jesus to a very high point and pointed out all the kingdoms of the world and said, okay, now is your opportunity. You know that the kingdoms of the world belong to me because mankind, whom you gave them to, gave them over to me with the temptation and their sin. They're mine and I offer them to you. You don't have to go to the cross to save mankind. You don't have to go to the cross to be the king of the world. All you need to do is bow down and worship me. The temptation was to avoid the cross entirely by simply bowing the knee to the devil once. And do you know how Jesus defeated the devil in this moment? You'll never guess. You know what he did? He quoted the scripture. He used the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. He looked at Satan and said, there is only one God and him alone should I worship. Friend, do you see what I'm trying to say? I'm trying to say this. If you're facing battles in your life, I'm sure you can figure out a lot of ways to defeat the devil. But maybe we should use the way that Jesus did and to actually use the scripture. Maybe you've got a better way than Jesus. Anybody have a better way than Jesus on how to defeat the devil? You want to testify, give a testimony? Here's a better way to defeat the devil right? We, we get it from movies. Movies tell you all you need is you need a wooden cross and maybe, maybe a, a metal stick figure on that cross. We'll call it a crucifix. And, and you need a, a certain type of suit and, and a guy that's been trained and he'll come in and he'll defeat the devil. That's how Hollywood thinks you defeat the devil. Let me tell you how to defeat the devil. How you, no matter if you're a 14-year-old girl or an 85-year-old man, you can defeat the devil by knowing the Bible and quoting the Bible. That's how you win. It's that simple. Number one, the sword. It is the Bible. I'm going to say the sword. You say the Bible. The sword. Number two, the superpower. The second thing that you have is the superpower. All these other five are defensive weapons, but God gives you two offensive weapons. The first offensive weapon is the sword, which is the Bible. The second it's not so easy to describe. And the reason it's not so easy to describe is because prayer is an ethereal concept. It's intangible. It's like trying to nail jello to a wall. It's very difficult to describe. So I'm not going to be describing it as a physical sword. It's prayer. I'll call it a superpower. It's yours. But here's the thing you have to know how to use prayer. I say, How do I pray, Pastor? How do I possibly pray? I'm gonna teach you right now how to pray. Now before I do, I have to convince you that prayer actually works. Listen to me, listen to me. Prayer actually does work. The reason why Christians don't pray is because they believe they can do something more powerful than prayer. I don't wanna pray, I wanna do. I don't wanna pray, I wanna do. It's one of the greatest lies, listen to me, sir, listen to me, my sister. It's one of the greatest lies the devil tells me every day. You don't have time to pray, you gotta get up and do something. Do something, Josh, do something. Happens every morning to me, not sometimes, you understand, Jason? Not like occasionally I have this lie, every morning, First thing I wake up and I'm like, I'm awake. I I survived. Good. And then I think to myself, I got to get up and pray. And the devil lies to me. He lies to me every single day. It's the same lie. And I can't tell you how many times I fall for this lie. Maybe you've heard the lie before. And that is, you don't have time to pray. You got to go. You got to get up. You got to do the thing and do the other thing and do the other thing and do the other thing. And you got to do lots of things. And by the time all the things are done, you'll be done. And then you will not have prayed. You don't have time to pray, and so every day, whenever I slip out of bed and I fall on my knees and I say, "God, I know the devil's telling me I don't have time to pray," but it's the only thing I'm doing right now that actually matters. Listen, listen to me, listen to me. I like what the old preacher said one time. He said, "You can do more after you pray, but you can't do more than pray until you've prayed." I'll say that again. You can do more after you pray, but you can't do more than pray until you've prayed. What a lot of us like to do is instead of prepping our lives with prayer, what we like to do is do, 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 and then we sprinkle a blessing. God, bless all the things I did. And God says, this is not where the power is. Prayer is the power. Look what it says in verse 18. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit, being watchful to this end with all Perseverance perseverance it means it takes a lot of work to use this superpower you've got to use it and spend time using it and let me give you three ways in which you can use it this is not an extensive list but it's all i have time to give you three ways that you need to pray number one your prayers should be desperate say desperate your prayers should be persistent say persistent and your prayers should be consistent say consistent all right your prayers should be desperate desperate your prayers to be powerful should be desperate. This is where prayers become truly powerful. When you realize there is no other way this is going to be accomplished other than God, you doing something. I am desperate, God, you got to do this. Look what the Bible says in Psalm 102, verse 17 God shall regard the prayer of the destitute. That is, He's going to listen to the desperate person when they pray and shall not despise their prayer. He's not gonna look away from the prayer of the person who says, God, I need you. The only way this is gonna happen is if you do it. God will not despise that prayer. What prayer does he despise? God, you know, I mean, maybe if you got time. I mean, I got some other, I got a lot of irons in the fire, so if you can't figure it out, I'll figure it out. But you know, if you could kind of maybe consider, maybe, you know, hey, bless, bless, bless my day, maybe, you know. But if not, it's good, because I'll take care of myself. Do you understand from, a, from God's perspective? Mark, do you understand? From God's perspective, Ashley, do you understand why God would despise that prayer? You're not desperate for him. You might add him because you got it. Like, you're, you're, like, you're like, we as Christians are like the two-year-old who says to their parent, I do myself. I do myself. I do myself. I do myself. And you're like, cool, man, Go. Make an omelet. I want to see this. (laughs) I want to see you do this. God says, I despise that prayer. The prayer that I hear is the desperate prayer that says, God, only you can do this. You have to get to a place where you're completely helpless and completely hopeless. The problem with many of us is we have so much pride, we're not very helpless and hopeless about anything. It's really dangerous. I was flying... I was flying on a Sunday night to Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. I have to go there four times a year uh, because I'm part of a mission board. I sit on the board and I have to be there physically for maybe they've never heard of Zoom, I don't know, but I have to be there four times a year and I fly out after preaching three times on Sunday and grabbing a burrito and I go to the airport and I jump on an airplane, it takes forever to get there because no flights direct from Las Vegas to Harrisburg. In fact, I don't think there's any flights from Harrisburg direct to anywhere in the world because Harrisburg is in the middle of nowhere. Anybody ever been to Harrisburg before? Raise your hand, you have? Why, like why, why would you go there? I don't know why anybody goes there. It's in the middle of nowhere, they have a, there's nobody there in Pennsylvania, nothing's there except for this mission thing and so I fly into Harrisburg, Pennsylvania and it was one o'clock in the morning, this is a year or two ago, one o'clock in the morning and I arrive and, and uh, I, didn't, I didn't set up a ride. This was a problem and the reason is because I got there and I thought well I'll just Uber, this is one of my first times to do this, I was just going to get there and Uber but there's no Uber in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. Because people go to sleep at night. They sleep at night. When the sun goes down, they go to bed. When it gets up, this is when they wake. This doesn't make sense to me because I was born and raised in Las Vegas. But this is how people in Pennsylvania live. So I thought, I'll just Uber. I got there, no Uber. I got there, no Lyft. There's no Lyfts, there's no Ubers. Nobody's driving around. And I'm starting to freak out a little bit. I'm like, no problem, I'll rent a car. Went to the rental car place, it was closed. Everybody went home. It went home. There were signs that said, we'll open at 6.30 a.m. I thought, well, that's weird. So no rental car company. Everybody else is grabbing their bags and they're walking outside and I see them getting in cars of family and friends. People know them and like them and picking them up. I have nobody now. Nobody is here to pick me up, and I'm getting nervous. I thought, where are the captains and the, and the flight attendants going? And they grabbed all their stuff, and they got inside of a shuttle to a hotel. I said, that's a good idea. I walked up. I said, are you going to such and such hotel? They shut the door and said, no. And I said, okay, well, maybe I'll call the hotel. And I called the hotel, and I said, maybe, maybe they'll send a shuttle. They said, we don't have shuttles. They said, "Call the taxi company." I said, "Duh, taxis! I remember them from two decades ago." So I, I there was a sign that said, "Call a taxi." So I called a taxi, and the taxi company had a voicemail—a voicemail in the middle of the night that said, "We'll pick you up at 6:30." <laughs> and I, I, I kid you not—I was i was standing right there, middle of the night, all alone in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. And I look, how far is my hotel? 13 miles. I don't want to walk all the way 13 miles. Who knows? There might be like roaming gangs of Amish people that are going to come. And it's a scary, I don't know. There could be. There, maybe. So I don't know. I was desperate, scared. What am I going to, I'm like, well. Turn around. Grab my bag, started walking inside. I was just going to lay down and sleep in the airport by myself till 630 and, that, and then, then it happened. The Holy Spirit of God said to me, "I just look. I'm a preacher, right? Not just a Christian. I like tell other Christians how to be Christians." And God said to me, "Why don't you pray?" All right, I'll give it a shot. You know what I mean? <laughs> so I did, I'm like, I, okay, I'll give it a shot, so I said, God, you know, I could sleep in here, I mean, that's fine, but I really don't want to sleep in here, I'd like to go to a hotel, sleep for four hours, get up for all my meetings, like, could you send, like, I don't know, could you, could you help me out, and I kid you not, in that very moment, around the corner, a pair of headlights, and I'm like, hold on, hold on, you ever get surprised when God answers your prayer, like I do, you're like, you're a Christian, and you're like, wait a second, this works, You're for real up there, huh? All right, all right, I see you, okay. And so I'm waiting, and the car pulls up. (laughs) This is no joke. He has a little sticker, Uber, a little Uber sticker. And I'm like, Uber! And he pulled over, and I'm like, Are you here to pick somebody up? And he said, said, Look, I I said, I didn't call you. This is what he said to me. He said, I was dropping somebody off about 10 miles from here, and he said, I just felt like I was supposed to come to the airport before going home. And I'm like, "Uh Uh-huh. So I got in and, uh, and I gave him his money and we drove all the way to, uh, this was the craziest thing. Um, he said to me, he said, you know, uh, we started talking, found out he was a Christian. He was going through a really bad situation. I, I won't get into. And uh, God was give, giving me the moment to counsel him pastorally because God knew this guy needed some pastoral counsel and God knew that there was a pastor who needed a ride to the airport. <laughs> and so God set up that whole thing but he wanted me to ask for it before he sent it. Now I know what some of you are thinking. Some of you are thinking, well, maybe that was a coincidence. Okay, if you believe that was a coincidence, please stop calling yourself a believer. Like how are you gonna call yourself a believer and you don't believe in prayer? You don't believe in the power of God? I get it, sometimes I doubt too, but man, you see things like this. And I'm telling you, some of you have some situations that are far more important than a five hour sleep in an airport. You got to get on your knees and get desperate with God. God, I don't have any recourse. There's no taxis around here, there's no Ubers, there's no Lyft, there's nothing that can help me but you. So I'm desperate, God, you gotta do this because I've got no other resort. If you do that, God hears the prayer of the desperate. Number one, your prayer should be desperate. Number two, your prayers should be persistent persistent. That means they need to keep being asked. Keep on asking. Keep on asking. Look what it says in verse 18. Praying always with all perseverance. Keep asking. You say, man, I've been praying to God for this for like two days and it's not happened. Keep asking. I have prayer requests on my personal prayer list that have literally been there for over 10 years. I pray for the same thing nearly every single day. God, you gotta, God, you gotta do this. God, you gotta do this. God, you gotta do this. God, I have certain prayers that have been going on for 18 years, even longer since my son, before my son was born, praying for my kids, praying for the same things, praying every day, every day, persistence, persistence. You say, well, if God was truly powerful, he would answer it the first time. Yet God says he wants you to pray with persistence. Like if you had a chance to talk to the very son of God and say, hey, son of God, Could I get some insight on how dad works? Could you like give me some like, you know, life hacks on how to approach the almighty? And then he told them to you, would you use those life hacks from the son of God? Yet this is what Jesus tells us in Luke chapter 11. Look what Jesus says in Luke chapter 11. Jesus says, so I say to you, ask and it will be given unto you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it shall be open unto you. For everyone who asks receives. And he who seeks finds. And he who knocks, it will be open." What is he saying? He's saying, keep on asking. Keep on seeking. Keep on finding. Don't stop. Jesus tells this, says this, right after he tells a very fascinating story. It's a fascinating story of an irritating friend. Anybody here ever have an irritating friend? They're still your friend, but they drive you nuts. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Raise your hand. You say, I don't. You are the irritating friend then. If you don't know who the irritating friend in a group is, you're the guy. You're the one, all right? So you know. And so Jesus tells this kind of funny story about an irritating friend who was in his home one day and he got a knock at the door. Middle of the night, opens it up. And he has a friend that traveled from a long distance. Hey, man, come on in. Come on in. Uh, Can I get you something to eat? Yeah, I'm starving. He looks in his cabinets and he sees there's no food. He's like, oh, man, I'm so sorry. Can we just go to bed? We'll eat in the morning. We'll have breakfast. Bro, can you get me something? Now I'm really hungry. He's like, I don't have anything. He's like, but I'm really starving. Like, I'm dying over here. Can you get me something to eat? I don't have any food. And then he thinks to himself, hey, my next door neighbor has lots of food. He always has his cabinets full. Hold on right there. And the irritating friend goes next door and he starts knocking at the door of his neighbor in the middle of the night. Hey! Hey! Hey, wake up! The man opens up his window casement and says, hey, what do you want? I'm asleep in here. Hey, yeah, sorry. Hey, here's the deal. My friend came and he wants food. I don't have any food, but I know you got food. Can you just throw down a few loaves? We'll get out of your hair. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm sorry. Could you, could you do that for me real quick? Guys are looking out the window like, no. And he says to him, you know what he says to him? No. My kids are asleep in bed. You're driving me nuts. I don't really like you that much. Go away. Talk to me in the morning. Shuts the window casement. What does the irritating friend do? What do you think irritating friends do? They keep knocking. Hey, hey, I'm sorry. I really, I'm really embarrassed about this. You have no idea how hard this is for me. I'm really sorry. Hey, 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 man. hey, look, here's the deal. My friend's really hungry. I know you already told me. No. And then Jesus asked this question in the middle of the story. Jesus says, do you think the man will feed him? Yes or no? Yes. Yes. Why? Is he going to feed his friend because he likes his friend, or is he going to feed his friend because he just wants to go back to bed? Jesus says these words. He says these words. He's going to take care of his friend because his friend is persistent. And then he says something really weird about God. He says, so when you pray, keep asking, keep seeking Keep knocking. He said, you want insight onto how dad works? Now, some of you are like, well, I don't think I like how God works. But well, guess what? You're not God. He can work any way he wants. And the way he realizes that he wants to see demonstrative faith is to see if you're serious enough to keep asking for what you really want. So keep knocking. Keep asking and you'll receive. So, when you pray, let your prayers be desperate. Let them be persistent. And then lastly, let them be consistent. Consistent, what does that mean? It means it's best to pray in an organized manner. And what I mean by that is I like to use prayer lists. I, I had prayer lists, physical prayer lists for years, and then digital prayer lists on my computer, and then I got an app that I, I, I type in all of my prayers. And, and I pray through that when I go through the app. In fact, I have a photograph, I think, of um, uh, some screenshots. For example, this is, what one, some of, this, this is not my full prayer list. And some of you are like, Pastor, praise for me. I hope my name's not up there. Don't worry, you're fine. All right, this is all general prayer requests, right? Um, like right here, every single day that I pray, I pray, Holy Spirit, fill me and control me today. God, give me wisdom today. God, can you give me wisdom today? Every day I pray for wisdom. Why? Because wisdom's more valuable than rubies. And silver and gold, I want wisdom today. God, can you give me direction, show me where to go, discernment, help me not to embarrass myself, discretion, help me not to say the wrong thing to the wrong person at the wrong time? God, can you give me a lost soul to lead to you? God, can you give me boldness? I'm, I'm, I'm naturally not a bold person, but I need boldness to do what I do. So I pray, God, will you give me boldness every day? Will you give me confidence? Will you let the power of God come upon me? Will you heal my body daily? I don't pray, God, heal my body after I get sick. I pray every day, God, continue to heal me. I don't know what's going on inside of me. Help me to obey you. God, help me to obey. I I don't want to obey you. My flesh wants to disobey, but I want to obey, so will you help me obey you? Here's some of the prayers that I pray for our church every single day. I pray this for you every day. For you, I pray this. For you, I pray this every day. I pray, God, put a hunger of the word of God inside of them. Let them hunger for the word of God. We're so filled up with the junk food of the world, we don't hunger for the word of God. So I say, God, make them hungry for the word of God. If you ever get to the point throughout the week and you're like, man, I I just can't wait to go to church and study the Bible. That's because God's answering my prayer for you. Hunger for the word of God. I pray that God would put a hedge of protection about you, that God would protect you from the devil, protect you from demons. I pray that for you every day. Every day I pray that for you. I pray that God would put his hand upon you. What do you mean his hand upon me? Uh, There's two types of hand in the Bible of God. The hand of God for blessing and the hand of God for discipline. I pray God, I I pray your hand of blessing would be upon those who do right and your hand of discipline would be upon those who walk away from you. Let me be really clear, you say pastor, are you telling me that you pray for my blessing? I pray for your blessing when you do right. I pray for God to get you when you do wrong. You say, you pray that God comes after me if I walk away from God? Yes, yes. Some of you are like, I need to get out of this church. Yes, maybe, (laughs) maybe. I pray for you that God will bless you as you walk with God and God will will discipline you as a child and bring you back to him because walking away from God is a terrible thing for you and your family. I I pray this all the time. Now, how do I pray this? Daily, consistently. Now, how do I remember to do this? Because I, because I have it on a daily list. You say, man, how do I, what about reading the Bible and stuff? There are different apps that help with that too, by the way. You get up and you can read a physical Bible, which I'm gonna give. Some of you don't have one. But like, look over to the left. This is from the Bible app. Anybody have the Bible app? You raise your hand, Bible app. Bible app's super cool because you got all these Bibles you can download and it reads it to you. It reads it out loud to you. So if you're like me and sometimes you don't wanna, you don't wanna read it physically, you can sit there and listen to it. It's really nice. You can listen to the Bible. This year, I've been listening to something called the Bible Experience, which is a bunch of actors, um, uh, uh, actors who uh, are reading through in a dramatized way, both the Old and New Testament, word for word. It's super cool. And I got it on Audible. And all year long, I've been listening to it. And there's certain actors I really like. And there's certain actors I'm like, that's terrible. Uh, it's not as good, right? But what's the, I'm, I'm creatively trying to find new ways to get the word of God in my mind, Listen, as you get ready in the morning, do you really need the opinion of some media personality telling you all about what they think about what happened last night? All we do is fill our minds with either entertainment or media, other people's opinions, but we could be filling our mind with the word of God so that when we do have to go to battle that day, we're ready to attack consistency is what we're talking about. And praying with consistency brings such a strength to the Christian like you've never experienced before. Now, what are the prayers that he tells you to pray? Well, he gives you a little list here in verses 18 and 19. I'll I'll give it to you quickly. Look, Look what he says in verses 18 and 19. He says, praying with all prayer and supplication in the spirit, being watchful to this very end, with perseverance and supplication for all saints. Paul, if you read him carefully, it's constantly giving Christians prayer lists things to add to your big prayer list. Here, his prayer is to pray globally. Say, pray globally. globally. It means you have responsibility as Ephesian Christians or as Las Vegas Christians to pray for all Christians everywhere. Do you understand there are a lot of Christians out there that need our prayers right now, amen? To pray for them. But don't just pray globally, pray locally. Look at what he says in the next verse. He says, and praying for me. Did you know it's not selfish to ask somebody to pray for you? And by the way, did you know what you find in the Bible more in the New Testament? You know what you find more in the New Testament? You actually find pastors asking people to pray for them more than you find people asking them to pay, ask pastors to pray for them. Over and over you see pastors. At, and this is another pastor asking for prayer. He says, will you pray for me that utterance will be given to me that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel? This is the prayer. Paul said, as a pastor, as a preacher, he said, could you pray that God would give me utterance? to verbalize the gospel in a way that people will understand. I've had people say to me over the years, man, pastor, how you explain the Bible is so helpful. I really understand it. Do you know why? It's not because I have a gift. It's because I have many people you don't know who are praying that God would give me utterance to explain the gospel with power. I have people praying for me. I ask them to, and I'm asking you to. He goes on, he says, pray for me that I might be an ambassador in Christ, that, it, that in it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Pray that I have boldness, he goes on to explain. Pray that I have boldness. Now, Pastor Josh, this sermon has to end because we're out of time. And you might be thinking to yourself, okay, all right, great. Pastor, we're out of time. What do I do with this? I mean, do I have everything I need to know about prayer? <laughs> like not even close Man, pastor, have you told me everything there is to know about Bible study? I haven't even touched on what you really need to know about Bible study. He said, well, what, what am I doing here? I'm giving you an introductory survey idea of what you need to know. What you need to do is go deeper. He said, how do I do that? Through the church? Look, I believe I would be a bad pastor if I only told you what to do and didn't give you resources to accomplish it. The reason why on October 15th and 16th, We're doing a full discipleship summit Friday evening and Saturday is so that we can help you learn what it means to commit to a 12-month discipleship process that is going to actually teach you how to pray and read the Bible and become the spiritual warrior that you've been meant to become. Not everybody is going to take me up on this offer. Not every Christian is serious about the spiritual war they find themselves in there are many more things that are very very important to many christians what i want to do is say to you if you want to learn how to truly pray and truly study the word of god it's going to look let me just it's going to take more than 45 minutes every month when you come to church some of you are going to be called out in the next few months to become true disciples You say, who's calling? Who's calling God is? Which one of us? Well, he's calling all of you, but only a few of you will respond. But any man or woman, a teenager that chooses to say, I'm getting serious about this. I want to know how to study and I want to know how to pray. I want to encourage you to come to the summit and figure out how to either become a discipler of others or be discipled yourself so that you can become a discipler of others. Ephesians 6, it ends. Do you see the last verse? Some of you have been here since March, and so we've been studying this entire letter all the way through. I'll close it out and tell you how it ends. Look at what it says in verses uh, 21 and 22 and 23. But that you may also know of my affairs and how I do. Tychicus, a beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will make all these things known to you whom I have sent to you for this very purpose, that you may know the affairs and that he may comfort your hearts. And then he ends it. He says, peace to you brothers and love with faith from God, the Father, the Lord Jesus Christ. And then verse 24, grace be unto all those who love our Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity. Amen. He says, grace, God's grace is over all of those who genuinely love God. So did the Ephesians always stay in love with God? No, you learned last Sunday that in Revelation chapter two, it's pretty clear what happens to the Ephesians. Over the next 34 years, they fall out of love for God and God makes it very clear. I have one problem with you, Ephesus. You left your first love. The book of Ephesians ends by saying, grace will be upon you if you love Jesus with sincerity. Revelation opens up by saying the church at Ephesus is gone. In fact, it even says, God says, I will remove your candlestick. That means I'm going to destroy the church because you fell out of love with me. Do you know how I believe that happened? I believe they put down the sword and they stopped using the superpower. Happens to every church. It doesn't happen to, have to happen to every Christian. Loretta is a faithful member of our church. When she heard I was gonna preach on the armor of God, she made a coffee appointment with me. We went over to Starbucks and sat down. She smiled and looked at me and said, Pastor, I've been looking forward to talking to you. She's an elderly woman. You would not look twice at her if she walked by unless you knew the spiritual power that she wields every time she prays. She said to me, she said, Pastor, she said, when I heard you were going to preach on this, I just thought I'd sit down with you. And, and she didn't say it this way, but I knew what she meant. I wanted to make sure you sat down with you and you get this right. <laughs> <laughs> Which was welcome to me because here's a spiritual warrior who's been battling Satan since before I was born. She gave me this. She was very clear to say, just for the sermon series. She said, Pastor, these are all the pieces of armor. Can I walk them through with you? And she explained how important each piece was. Do you know what I want for you? This is what I want for you. I want you to be an inconspicuous, old warrior for Jesus Christ that nobody gives a second look to, but when you get on your knees and pray, the world shakes. The only person that can make that happen in your life is you. Pick up the sword, get on your knees. Let's pray. Father, I pray that we as Christians would become like Loretta. I pray that we would become warriors in the battle that matters most. Father, I pray that as we do, you would change our lives and our hearts, our homes, our businesses, our city, our state, our nation, the world. Lord, because we know we are in a spiritual war, I pray, Father, that we would fight properly. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.